This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free, so you don't have to worry about monthly hosting fees. It has built-in creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Or you can record and edit using your favorite audio recording software and upload it straight to Anchor. Anchor will also distribute your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Pocket Casts. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and Anchor will even match you with advertisers as your audience grows. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, Anchor is a pretty great place to start. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H. OR.FM to get started. And I'm Madison, and welcome back to uh, my uh, legally allowed Star Wars episode. <laughs> Star Wars episodes. <laughs> Hopefully not cursed, because Madison's laptop crashed, and then my headphones wouldn't work, so I couldn't oh hear anything. Oh god, I'm just, why is it? It's a sign that the universe, I guess, is just fueling my current JoJo's Bizarre Adventure brain rot. Yeah, I guess we're gonna have to do a JoJo episode. I mean, I I was already thinking about it. I think I'm going to do like I definitely want to do an episode on the mangaka because like Araki seems just like a fascinating dude because mm-hmm. he's much more in the public eye than like any other mangaka that I've seen, like including Junji Ito, who hmm. like routinely does stuff, promotional stuff for like Funimation and like Crunchyroll. Yeah, Crunchyroll will put him in cat ears and he'll go on camera and do like, nya on purpose. Yeah, but like he still has like such a, like a hard line between work life and then his private life. Like the most we ever saw into it is the Cat Diary manga. And even that is probably not 100% based in truth and is like exaggerated <laughs> for comedy. Mm-hmm. But like Araki's just out here like cosplaying his own characters <laughs> and fucking... <laughs> And what other mangaka can say that they've done a collaboration with like Gucci and has their and has had their art what? like in the fucking like Louvre, dude, like the French Museum, the Louvre. What? Yeah, he did like a promotional like one shot <laughs> manga for them. Hello. He's like a buck wild. I uh, I don't know. I love him. His vibes seem kind of incredible. But yeah, I definitely want to talk about him. I I am debating on doing like a generalized overview of the series or just talking about like the three parts that I've watched so far because I haven't even like touched five or six. I just got to to the JoJo that everyone is like, no, that's the JoJo that they mean when they talk about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So (laughs) 
We'll mm-hmm. see. I should probably finish that actual season. Oh yeah. But yeah, we should we should do a JoJo episode. Yeah, that's the one that that's the one that we're on. I like Jotaro. He's a very rude boy. <laughs> he he's very very rude. But hopefully that will have appeased the chaos gods. I've talked about I've talked about Jojo. <laughs> Can I talk about Star Wars we are now? Jojo sacrifice. Can I talk about Star Wars now on the anime podcast, please? <laughs> but last week uh, we talked about the studios that are responsible for the episodes, and I think we got to episode three. This episode is going through. The rest of the show, which is episodes four through nine, because there are nine episodes total. Oh, did you watch? Did you finish watching the last couple episodes? I did. Yeah, cool. Because we will. Um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to those ones. Yeah, I, I have some opinions, but okay, yeah. good. Because I definitely wanted to make sure that you at least saw the last one. Because I have there are some I have opinions. <laughs> I mean, I have opinions on all of them, but like. I definitely have a lot of strong opinions on, like, the last episode. Mm-hmm. But episode four is The Village Bride, written by Takahito Unishi and Hitoshi Haga, and is also directed by Hitoshi Haga. And this one is animated by Cinema, spelled with a K, Circus. And... Is it Cinema Citrus? No, it's Circus. Or is it Citrus? So uh, that may be on me. Hold on. It is Citrus. Okay. I misspelled it and may have said Circus. In part one, it is Citrus. It is Cinema Citrus. Disregard me calling it Cinema Circus, if I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, But this one takes place, more or less, it's one of the ones that can be easily slotted into, like, mainline canon uh, as just, like, a side story. As opposed to the twins, which is fucking reality-breaking, even for Star Wars. Another thing that I really liked on top of them showing that, like, non-Jedi can tap into the Force and, like, use it in some capacity, even if they're not, like, fully trained Force users, was that there it's a literal galaxy so there can be so much variation in like how much technology is on a planet like this planet is very not technology technologically advanced jesus christ <laughs> that sure was a word that came out of my mouth there is <laughs> barely any like high sci-fi tech visible on this yeah. planet they are a very like down-to-earth, traditional, indigenous-vibed, like, people. Which is cool, because, you know, yeah, it's a galaxy where there's spaceships and space travel and stuff, but it doesn't mean that every planet is on that same level of advancement. Mm -hmm. Which is cool. I like it. It's a good vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really liked the the style, because, uh, like, the... The colors felt really clean and crisp, Mm -hmm. and I just, the line art was just really nice. Like, it was just, everything just was, like, crisp 
and just very visually appealing. Like I just I do very much like the the style of this episode. I hope that this studio does more because they don't like like I said uh, last week. They have a couple of things like they've worked on on movies and stuff in tandem with other studios, but they don't they don't seem to have a whole lot on like just on their own merit. So I hope to see more from them because I really like their vibe. Also, I have one bullet point that is just F and Valco hand over your gender. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. Uh, Yes, I want to be a rugged, middle-aged explorer man. And yes, I want to be a cool Jedi with a Oni-inspired half mask. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Hand over your gender. (laughs) You have two wolves inside of you. (laughs) Unfortunately, the, uh, the eternal genderqueer <laughs> pain yeah like the the character designs are really thoughtful i liked how they design like this village and their culture yeah. it feels like it, it doesn't feel like tacked on it feels very lived in yeah it felt very natural and like mm-hmm. they clearly took inspiration from real life cultural cultures without like being like, without appropriating, because it, like, feels familiar and lived in mm-hmm. without being, like, you know, horrifically racist or anything. <laughs> yeah. But I really liked it. And I like the vibe, like, the character design of a lot of the the background villagers and stuff were really nice, too. Like, everyone felt distinct and, like, they could have their own story past this single look into their lives that we have. Which mm-hmm. I also thought was cool. Like, there was clearly a lot of care given into the minor world building that this episode had. And I appreciate yeah. that. That's all I have to say about that one, though. Like, it's it's a simple episode. It's a good episode. It is a solid episode. Yeah. Episode five is the ninth Jedi. Written by Kenji Kamiyama. Directed also by Kenji Kamiyama. This one is animated by Production IG. And the, this one can also sort of half, like, it, it takes a little finagling to fit nicely into the canon timeline, but it, it, it's not completely, like, outside of it. Like, it is totally possible that this is a story that could happen in the main timeline. But many generations after the Jedi Order became mostly extinct, Margrave Juro, the Jedi ruler of the planet High Islan uh, invites seven masterless Jedi to his aerial temple in order to receive lightsabers, whose design has been lost to time. Juro's droid gifts the first lightsaber to a young Jedi named Ethan. You know, the traditional <laughs> space name of Ethan. Uh <laughs> The youngest of the seven as proof promising the other Jedi that they will they will receive theirs once they are completed. And on the planet's surface, hunters working for the Sith capture the Sabersmith La Zima, uh, Zima, whose daughter Kara escapes with the finished lightsabers, including one for herself because she is force sensitive. And then most of the episode is like her getting up to the to, to the, the temple to hand off these lightsabers and be like, "Hey Jedi, please help save my dad." What I will say about this episode, it is very storytelling trope heavy. Like, if you took an AP 
lit <laughs> class in high school, you'd be able to figure out, like, the several twists in the first two minutes of the episode. Yeah. Like, it is It is a very obvious, like, the tropes are very obvious. The The last... Like, one of the later twists is not as obvious, but I will say, even though it is very standard storytelling trope heavy, it's at least enjoyable. Okay. Like, I... Like, I didn't have a bad time. I was just like, oh, I already know what's gonna happen. And then it did happen, and I was like, cool. I know my shit. Yeah. I don't know if it was just because it was Star Wars lore heavy, but I was like, it's always a bad sign when I'm watching something and I'm like, gee golly, I wonder when this one ends. But <laughs> oh, I was no. just, <laughs> I just wasn't as into, th- like, it was interesting at first. And then I think when it got into like, like when all the other characters show up and they're like yeah. waiting for stuff to happen and they're all talking to each other and I'm just like, oh God, okay, this is what this is now. Yeah, I will say that it does, it is one of the episodes that like, feels like it expects you to already have a standard baseline amount of Star Wars knowledge to, like, enjoy yeah. it. Like, it's definitely not one of the more accessible episodes. Mm-hmm. It is another heavy Jedi-Sith episode, because most of the episodes are. The one thing I did really like, though, is that it it was very much set up in a way that it could have been the pilot episode for, like, a full series, yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed that. Like, if they make it into a full series, like, I would definitely watch it because the storyline that they had set up is mm-hmm. pretty interesting. The thing that I liked the most about the episode was the character designs, like the fairy man robot. Mm-hmm. The space fairy man robot. I love him. That's my dad. Uh, the Margrave. Ooh, hand over your gender. Once again, (laughs) like the character designs were really nice and visually distinct, which I think Mm -hmm. was cool. Uh, And we got a lot of aliens, which we don't really get in the rest of the in the rest of the episodes. A lot of it is like 90 percent human humanoid, Mm -hmm. which is boring, but I get it. (laughs) It's just like there's Star Wars has a lot of cool races, alien races. It's got several bad ones, but it has mostly (laughs) cool ones. Yeah, I also noticed that with this one, it has, well, at least just Googling it, there's like a lot of fan art for this one that I didn't know, I haven't noticed with the other uh, episodes. Really? Hmm. Huh. Yeah, like it just, it really has the vibes of like it being a pilot set up for like a Mm -hmm. full series. Like people clearly connected with it in that capacity. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it eventually either becomes a comic book or a story, like, novel, like how The Duel got a novel, like, almost Mm -hmm. directly after the the show came out. Like, I think it's a cool storyline that I hope they continue. So what I will say about how they handle lightsabers in this episode is it doesn't follow the usual rules of, like lightsaber building because lightsabers for jedi are supposed to be like they're hyper personal items like you build it yourself Mm -hmm. um it is deeply connected to you yeah anyone can pick up a lightsaber 
But, like, making the lightsaber is yourself when you become Padawan, I think, is when you get your own lightsaber. Uh, Like, that is, a like, the next step in your spiritual journey because the Jedi are very much, like, a religious monk order. Like, it's a a big thing. Mm -hmm. But, like, on the other hand, I... I can forgive it because the episode itself feels like it's set post-Empire, pre or even post-New Order, which was like the Empire in the sequel trilogy uh, with Kylo Ren. Whatever. Uh I don't like him. Um, Do not care Uh about him. Fucking fight me. He's shit. (laughs) I don't care. He's boring. (laughs) He's not a compelling villain. Like, he's not. He's really not a compelling villain. Um, They did better with giving me Werner Hor- like Herzog for, like, five minutes in The Mandalorian. Anyway. <laughs> but because it, it feels like it's set, like, very much after the Jedi have been, like, genocided, and then any remaining ones are scattered to the wind, and Force users are routinely... Like, they're not trained, and if you don't train in in your powers in the Force, then they don't grow any. Mm-hmm. So, the fact that, like, no one knows how that, like, the lightsabers were a hyper-specific personal thing that you built yourself makes sense. And why that there's, like, the only sabers we see are ones that have been passed down. Mm-hmm. Which is true in... Until I think Ray eventually builds her own lightsaber, but that was true in like the uh, main original trilogy and the prequel and the sequels was because there wasn't a Jedi Order, no one was building new lightsabers. So every lightsaber that we saw in the mainline movies was a hand me down, like it was a pre existing object that was passed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like new, new baby Jedi wouldn't know that like it's a rite of passage that you do yourself but i do really like like on that thread of it not following the usual rules of how lightsabers are traditionally done i do love that the pre-made lightsabers function as like blank slates that are then shaped by the jedi that wields them yeah because lightsaber colors to an extent have a meaning Mm-hmm. Like, though in, in both modern times and media, like, both in-universe modern times and real-world media surrounding Star Wars, like, the lightsaber colors don't have the same significance or weight like they do in, like, if you're doing a story set in the High Republic, the color means a lot more than if you're doing something in the prequel, like the, um the sequel trilogy like where the colors don't really matter but yeah i like it i hope they do something with the storyline that they made for this episode because i think it's fun if predictable yeah like i could see this being like getting a full series and then flooding tumblr because everyone's (laughs) falling over themselves to like gif the shit out of it and do fan art and stuff yeah like I'm I'm surprised that this episode specifically got like has been getting a lot more fan art because I didn't actually visually like the animation style all that much. Like in some of the scenes the 
like the character models against the environments were like really fuzzy. Like mm-hmm. the line art was not crisp. I'm not sure if that was like a stylistic choice, but I didn't like it a whole lot. The fight scenes were dynamic. The fight scenes were clutch, but like on a whole, it stylistically, this is not my favorite episode. Yeah, I feel like the focus was more on story than visuals, which like I think makes sense, but I am yeah. not super into Star Wars lore, so I kind of snoozed yeah. out on this one. That's fair, but that's also why it's like confusing to me that it's like this is the episode that is getting yeah a significant amount of fan art. Tatooine Rhapsody is right there. <laughs> right? I don't actually even know if it's like this one got more fan, fan art than the other ones. It's just that as we've been going through this episode, I've been looking up images to try and remind yeah. myself what I watched like three months ago. And so in Google Images, I'm getting like people's art pages and like things they've pinned on Pinterest and stuff. So, and oh, like man. cosplays. So. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Something about this episode. Something about this episode. Not for me or you, but for other people. <laughs> Good for you. Episode 6 is T0B1, otherwise known as Toby. It is written by... You... No. Yuichiro? Yuichiro. Yuichiro? Thank you, yes. Kaido, and directed by... Abel Gongura. Okay, I don't know anything about you, but you have a cool name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Animated by Science Saru. Shortly after the Great Jedi Purge, a droid named Toby lives on a deserted planet with his armless creator, Professor Mikata, and dreams of becoming a Jedi Knight. Uh, one day, Mikata tells him that in order to become a Jedi, he must find a kyber crystal so he can forge a lightsaber. Anything I say after that would be spoilers. This is a very unique episode out of the entire series. Like, it is clearly very based on Osamu Tezuka's Astro Boy and also, like, Mega Man. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's like if Astro Boy was set in, like, the Star Wars universe. In Star Wars, yeah. It is very Astro Boy Mega Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to give away any of the stuff because I actually do really enjoy this episode and I think that the twists are, are, are very nice. So I don't want to ruin it. I do have a quote from the Polygon article that I really liked. So anime fans will likely read this episode as a riff on Astro Boy. Uh, But it's still drawing from a piece of Star Wars, the idea that the Force is a power that exists in all living things, whether organic or inorganic. Each short is distinct in its repetitive visual style and storyline, respective, not repetitive, respective visual style or storyline, and each of them share an intimate knowledge and understanding of the core principles of what make the franchise what it is beyond Luke Skywalker and his circle of dickheads. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I dickheads parentheses absolutely affectionate <laughs> but I agree with that like this episode is another one that is you don't need to be a Jedi to use a lightsaber or you know 
have any sort of contact with the Force. Things like the lightsaber is a symbol, and having access to the Force in some capacity isn't a requirement to be a a good person mm-hmm. or to want to do good and change your environment for the better and for the betterment of others. The style itself is very cute, very retro. It looked like the just oh, I love it. I love all the designs of the little droids. I already love Star Wars Star Wars droids like so much. Gonk droid, my beloved. He's just literally like a big rectangle on legs. <laughs> He's a walking power source. I love I love Star Wars droids. But yeah, it's it's a very, very retro Astro Boy Mega Man vibes, both visually and like storytelling wise. Yeah, it feels like an episode of like a kid's show or something, but it doesn't feel like I'm being talked down to. Yeah, the the vibe is just very good. This episode's like very wholesome. I like this episode. Like, I love that it takes the time to, because the professor that made him is an older man, he Mm -hmm. of course is not around for the entire episode i will not explain how or why but he is not around for the whole episode but despite that toby continues the professor's like terraforming efforts on this deserted planet that they live on like it doesn't immediately go into him going on an adventure like he takes the time and what seems to be maybe a couple of months or even like a couple of years Mm -hmm. to with the other droids terraform this planet because again being a jedi isn't about having a lightsaber and fighting the dark side and doing cool flips and shit it's it's about helping others and like healing people and healing planets when you can Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really good message i like this episode i think it's very wholesome yeah i like i don't have much more to say on it than that i just think the vibes are good uh, episode seven. Ooh, okay. This is the other studio trigger episode. <sighs> episode seven is The Elder. It is written by Masahiko Otsuka and also directed by Masahiko Otsu- Otsuka. The second studio trigger episode, which is wild because it looks completely different. And if you did not know multiple studio trigger properties, you'd think this was a comp- done by a completely different studio. So this one also can easily be slid into mainline canon. Centuries after the death of Darth Bane and the initial extinction of the Sith, Tajin? My my brain wants to say Tahin, <coughs> but that's not correct. <laughs> Tajin and his Padawan Dan are sent to explore the Outer Rim when Tajin senses a disturbance in the forest. They land on an isolated planet and arrive at a, mo- a remote village where they learn of a mysterious elder man who hiked into the mountaintop. Uh, Dan, the apprentice, the Padawan, follows the elder's trail and meets the man who reveals himself to be a former Sith who left the Order before it fell apart. I will not reveal anything more than that, because it's this episode is wild. Are you still there? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure. You were very quiet, so I wasn't sure if I lost you. I was just thinking about how I accidentally started watching this episode in English, and I was like, this... No, I think I watched all of this in English. I'm surprised. <laughs> well, I, w- I wanted to see what it was like, because at that point, I'd only seen them all subbed. 
So mm-hmm. I wanted to see if it felt any different in English. Um, I ended up switching back halfway through the next episode, but... Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Some yeah. of the episodes were okay in English, and then some of them were not great. But that's also, unfortunately, just the general mixed bag of dubs in the first place. Yeah, I mean, so this episode, I liked the idea. I liked the... But also felt like the last episode of an anime I didn't watch. Yeah, like it, it had that vibe. It, uh, it, it felt like it was in the middle of a of the story. Mm-hmm. And not in like a way that's fun, like the other ones are. I like the idea of um, Tajin and Dan walking into basically like the final arc of a story and stumbling yeah. into that. But like, yeah. I, there's so much exposition. I felt like I, when I was watching it, I felt like I wish I could sit down with the script and like cut out half of it because it feels like a five minute story that was stretched into 15 and I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, there was a lot of like what feels like unnecessary dialogue. Yeah. Which like, yeah, sure, whatever it happens. But like, yeah, there are like, it's like very slow. Mm-hmm. All of the action happens at once. Mm-hmm. Very slow. <laughs> like, there's no middle ground. It's just slow. Everything happens at once. The end of the episode. Yeah. Which is b- bad pacing-wise, but in comparison to the twins, which had the very dynamic, like, kill-la-kill style, <laughs> this one has closer to, like, the Little Witch Academia or Darling in the Franks style. Like, it's a little more grounded. Mm-hmm. Storytelling-wise, it is, it is, like, very classic Star Wars style. And even though it is another Jedi-Sith-focused episode, I did really like that it was nice to finally see, like, an established Jedi-Master-Padawan relationship instead of just all of the solo or untrained Jedi that we've had for literally all of the other episodes. Yeah. Like, that was definitely something missing was, like, the Master-Padawan, like, relationship for a Jedi. So I'm glad that we at least got like one episode of it. I love the design of the elder. He's like a fucked up little Yoda man. <laughs> it's just a fucked up I little dude. If like Danny DeVito was evil. Yeah, he's just he's a fucked up little evil like crackhead Danny DeVito. I love him. His design is so fun. Um I want to know more about him. He's very crusty and has rancid <laughs> vibes and I want to know everything about him. I feel like he'd be very cool as, like, like the villain at the end of an arc. But, like, we didn't get the full arc. So it's just, like... Yeah. Like, it felt... Like, it does really feel like a glimpse into a storyline that was already happening. It's like the episode... It's like you fall asleep watching something, and then you wake up, and it's, like, three in the morning, and Adult Swim is playing, and, like, it's the <laughs> middle of an episode of something. And you're just like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Like, that's what it feels like. I mean, I don't mind it because, granted, a lot of Star Wars feels like that sometimes, but mm. it's definitely not an accessible episode. I feel like there's a way to do it, though, in a way that doesn't feel like... Like, the duel did kind of the same thing, where it felt yeah. like a story plucked from, like, the middle of something. The, the middle of the adventure or, like, the season. yeah. Yeah, like, there's definitely a way to do it, and I think in terms of that sort of storytelling, like, the duel did do it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But visually, like, I do, 
really love the style that this is done in like yeah the super dynamic kill a kill style is fun but like i love that the big floofy hair and uh the brown character done respectfully yeah always that a plus. was nice <laughs> always a plus i also really love that the jedi robes are also designed much closer to the real life like clothes that it's based on the hakama mm. like they're they're straight up hakama they're not like the Jedi robes that Westerners are used to in Star Wars. Like, it's the thing that they're, that the Jedi robes were based on that George mm. Lucas stole <laughs> for his movie. I have a note that says, Tajin the Jedi Master looks exactly what a Tumblr post of I can fix him, I can make him worse <laughs> are about. Yes. <laughs> he does. He's like, I can fix him, I can make him worse. That's he what he be, looks like. <laughs> he would be the guy that, like... Ah, oh, man. There'd be so much fan art of this guy. <laughs> I'm surprised there's not. I haven't seen any. I followed dozens of Star Wars vlogs. I have not seen any. Maybe because this episode was kind of a snooze fest. Maybe. That's probably why. Although I... <laughs> he looks like he's the personification of the post of, like, posts going, my poor little meow meow. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just his vibe. <laughs> It's because his hair is kind of scruffy and he has that side bang that, like, covers one eye in, like, this really emo way. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I will say, though, in the two fun points uh, for the English voice actors, Tajin, the Jedi Master in English, is David Harbour. Uh, love you, care you, chief of police <laughs> hopper from Stranger Things. Mwah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's it's Police Chief Hopper from Stranger Things. Hmm. He was the voice. I think he did a good job, considering he is not, like, a voice actor. Yeah. Like, for as much as, like, the dialogue was, like, dry and, like, uh, over-explaining, like, exposition, like, his actual voice acting was, like, not bad. I was just thinking that this episode felt really flat, and I think part of it might be that the actors they chose, some of them weren't voice actors. Yeah, like, that's always a toss-up. I mean, I don't know how they selected any of the English VAs for this, because it's all over the place. Like, mm. a couple of episodes ago, you have, like, fucking Alison Brie, who's done, like, a whole bunch of stuff. Like, that is literally her job. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, actors but who are talented, but not necessarily voice actors. And then you have... James Hong in English, too, who voices the Elder in English, who is a voice actor mm -hmm. for the most part. Like, he's done physical stuff, too, but he's also, like, he's known for being, like, Chifu in Mulan. Like, mm. the annoying, fucking cowardly um, government official in Mulan. Mm -hmm. And he's also Mr. Ping, Poe the Panda's adoptive dad in Kung Fu Panda. Hmm. <laughs> so he has a very distinct voice like if you hear him talk you're like oh it's that guy yeah um and i thought he was fine but he's also like a voice actor he does mm -hmm. that's what he does yeah but yeah this episode was sort of just a it wasn't bad but it like you said it it just in comparison to all of the other episodes it just felt flat yeah it went on 10 minutes longer than it really should have yeah i do i just i want to know more about fucked up little danny devito <laughs> But I guess we won't yeah. ever because, you know, but moving on, we're almost done. We got episode eight and episode nine. Episode eight is Lop and Ocho, written by, whoo, 
Så ja, no. Så jag åker. Ja, thank you. But this episode is directed by Yuki Igarashi mm-hmm. and animated by Gino Studio. During the reign of the Empire, so this one is solidly in canon taking place during the original trilogy. Uh, a rabbit-like alien slave named Lop escapes her captors on the planet Tau and is discovered by the planet clan, the planet's clan leader, Yasuburo, and his daughter, Ocho, the latter of whom convinces the former to adopt Lop as his daughter. Seven years later, the Empire has now occupied their planet and is exploiting it for its natural resources. Yasuburo wants to drive the Empire off their planet, while Ocho wants to cooperate with the Empire. And that is where I will stop the description because the rest is spoilers. My first note point for this episode is furries rejoice. I was gonna say, like, finally an episode for the furries. (laughs) Bunny girl. (laughs) Here's your anthro (laughs) animal girl. Whatever. Um... (laughs) So I do have a, I will start off besides my point about the furries rejoice. Mm -hmm. I have a quote from the Den of Geek article I have, I mentioned in the first part of this two-part episodes. Uh, Gino Studios' Lop and Ocho, meanwhile, explores the sibling trope, but as a story of found family bound by duty to the planet they're sworn to protect... In comparison to where Luke and Le- Luke and Leia are connected by blood and destiny, siblings Lop and Ocho get a choice and one that could completely alter the face of their home planet. Which I agree with. I like this take on like the sibling relationship in Star Wars. Like this is the second like sibling relationship episode we get. I like this one better. I don't like the twins, once again. (laughs) I like this episode. (laughs) Visually, the style is, like, really fun. I Mm -hmm. really, really, really like how bouncy and fresh this style feels. Yeah, it it feels like there are, like, I don't know. Like, the frame rate is just, like, there are moments when Lop is moving, and it feels like, damn, how many hours did, like, two seconds of this thing yeah there's take. it actually seems like they have like squatch and stretch and like smear like smear frames like i i really really like the um the animation yeah for this episode. they got they finally got money to make anime <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> um i will say though as much as i like the style the fact that the anthropomorphized anthropomorphized bunny girl main character (laughs) clashes with the rest of the primarily human cast is weird Mm -hmm. it's enough of a clash that like i made a note of it because it's weird in star wars that that a character design clashes because star wars aliens can look supremely fucked up and bad Hmm. they could they look so there are so many ones that are just fucked up and weird and those are somehow more believable than this straight up furry artist OC. <laughs> yeah, it it felt like <laughs> someone on the animation team was really into furries and they just wanted this character in there. 
and it's kind of shoehorned in as that as like she's a it's like a slave basically yeah <laughs> but like it's like it's 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 okay we i we know you wanted your cute bunny girl in the show it's like you can have her it's fine it's the second to last episode but i am judging <laughs> i am judging <laughs> i'm judging just a little bit uh i do love the story setup of a planet like the people of the planet torn between joining the empire to save themselves or mm-hmm. freeing themselves from the empire like i do really like that i think that is that is a cool point um <laughs> my next bullet point is ocho is absolutely gaslight gatekeep girl boss coded yes like <laughs> even her look is like ready to be in a suit just fucking shit up yeah i I didn't like that there is a lightsaber in this episode. I think it would have been more impactful if the episode focused on the inherent, like, family drama and Mm storyline. Because they have this whole setup of, like, this cool, powerful, like, mafia mob-style clan that protect- that, like, rules this planet. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't- I don't think that they necessarily needed to have a lightsaber in this episode. Yeah. I mean, I like the lore they have for introducing it, but... Yeah, like, that part's fine, I guess. I just, I don't know. At this point, we're eight episodes in, and most of the episodes, like, most of the episodes have had a a lightsaber in some capacity, so at this point, I'm just 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 a little burnt out on lightsabers. (laughs) My beef with this episode, um, two things... It makes me very oh anxious when characters start having a loud argument in the middle of a heist and oh my like, god <laughs> they're like seconds away from being caught and like I was ready for them to just like get caught and they didn't cuz they were having fully like a 5 minute loud screaming match and yeah don't enjoy that shit, especially when it's all, it's just all exposition, and it just feels like, yeah. it, it, it takes me so out of it. You, <laughs> yeah. Did you have had this conversation at a normal volume? Could you have had Perhaps. this conversation, like, at home, and not, like, when you might get everyone killed? What's happening? At home, at a normal volume level? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I felt it was a little silly after, like, past 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And then... All the dialogue sounded very, I don't know. That This is the episode where I switched to Japanese to be like, does this also sound weird in Japanese? And it kind of did a little bit. And I don't, yeah. like, I think the voice actors in Japanese sold it a little better, but it was still very yeah. much like, I feel like I'm watching the nerdy shit that would have gotten be beaten up on the playground. Yeah, I think that was just an issue of the dialogue being, like, very corny and, yeah. like... <laughs> Like, corny and very, like, entrenched in, like, genre entrenched. Yeah. Without a sort of balancing factor to make it not sound super corny. Yeah. It's not, like, a direct translation from the Japanese either. So mm-hmm. it being stilted does not come from that. Because when I switch to Japanese, it's very annoying because the English subtitles are clearly just for the English dub. Yeah, they're just... It's literally, it's not even, oh god, it's so annoying. Yeah. It's like, the subs are not different, they just copy-paste, and then, like, you're watching, 
and this is true for like most of the anime on netflix Mm -hmm. is when you have subtitles on and you switch from the sub to the dub the subtitles there are times where they don't match up to the english dub and you're like oh cool so you've just imported the japanese sub ones okay cool yeah it's it's very annoying like okay that's fine i guess but yeah like i switched to japanese and it was kind of better but it was still kind of like i couldn't get out of it enough to just enjoy the story it felt like i don't know it was very cheesy it was very cheesy yeah i just i think that was just it played very heavily in like in genre to a point that i think it was a little bit at its detriment Mm -hmm. i feel because it wasn't ground i don't think it was grounded enough to play in that space like it felt like it took itself too seriously without being grounded and that's why the dialogue is a little funky and corny yeah um because it was playing in the space but over committing yeah i felt like i was at a ren fair <laughs> a little bit yeah i mean i grew up at ren fairs like you're not you're not wrong <laughs> i feel like though when i go to a ren fair i expect it to be kind of cheesy and it's fun when people like know they're being really corny but in this it felt like they weren't aware of how obnoxious they sounded so it just took me out of it yeah yeah, because again, like they were playing it super seriously in genre to its detriment. Like it yeah. wasn't it wasn't tempered with anything or grounded with anything. So just it like it felt weird. Like literally, for instance, not to bring it back to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, <laughs> but for as silly and ridiculous as the series on a whole is, it's like very emotionally grounded and like plays in the space that it's created by both being completely like a rev nope that's not the right word not irrelevant with the fuck brain like it doesn't take itself too seriously but it constantly plays by the rules that are set of the universe that it's based in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's like, it's as like JoJo's is cheesy and wild and bizarre <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. But it, it is again, like weirdly emotionally grounded and it being emotionally grounded is what I think like is why people like it so much and why it resonates with people is because like, it's good. <laughs> Whereas this isn't, emotionally grounded in the same way overplays to genre takes itself too seriously and comes off sounding cheesy mm-hmm. in com- in comparison yeah if that makes any sense <laughs> <laughs> i hope it does like i'm trying to say a thing and i'm not sure if i'm making any sense yeah i think that like the way jojo takes itself seriously is in like it's so ridiculous that it rounds back into just being fun it commits to its ridiculousness yeah there's not a point where ever like looks at itself and is like oh that was a little much wasn't it it never does that no which works so well yeah there is also like it never takes itself seriously and it commits but 
it also never breaks the established rules of like its universe. Mm -hmm. I think that helps too. Yeah. I think like we've already said basically is that Lapanocho just kind of doesn't do any of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's also the point where Wap and Ocho actually meet and Ocho is basically like hello character who is a major part of the plot. Welcome to this found family we have created for this episode. You're going to love it here. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that <laughs> the dialogue specifically for that part was weird." Like it would have been a lot more impactful if that dialogue just wasn't there and if they I hate to be like show don't tell but like <sighs> but show don't tell yeah because <laughs> otherwise with the fact that the Yasaburo family that Ocho and her dad are of mm -hmm. like them clearly being like a high class ruling family and then running into this non-humanoid alien mm -hmm. that is coded as a real life animal mm -hmm. feels less like Ocho was like, oh, I want a sister, and more like Ocho was like, I want a pet. Oh, no. It felt like, oh, I want a pet. I, I want to adopt this bunny from the window uh, shop. Like, I, I don't know. The the vibes were a little weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't... Uh, hmm. It didn't feel as organic as it could have been. Yeah. I feel like changing Lop into either a pre-established Star Wars alien species or just having everyone everyone be human mm. would have fixed a lot in general. I think it would have been better if, like, I don't know, because when Ocho was like, let's adopt her, I thought it was, like, the family's thing where they just took in kids off the street. But Lop is the only one. <laughs> So, like, I don't understand where this urge from Ocho came from. Like, there's nothing that's like, oh, yeah. I always wanted a sister or, like... No. I... See, it's like, I, wa I want... It comes off as, I want a pet. <sighs> which is icky. Yeah. Just make Lop a normal, established Star Wars alien. Like, make everyone aliens or make everyone humanoid. I don't know. The fact that she's based off of, like, a real-life animal is just... <laughs> it makes it weird. Yeah. Makes it weird. Yeah. Don't like it. <sighs> but we are on episode nine. Last episode, Akakiri, <laughs> written by Yuichiro Kaido. Kido, again. Uh, directed by, oh, uh, whoa. N? Yoon Young Choi? Sure. That sounds right. Yeah, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not entirely sure. That's like the second, like, non- obviously Japanese name that we have on this list. And it's Science Saru again. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know where y'all are from, but you got cool names. <laughs> uh, prior to the initial extinction of the Sith, a Jedi named Subaki, who has been suffering from visions of an unidentified individual dying in front of him, reunites with his old love Misa, a princess who has been overthrown by her dark side wielding aunt Misago. Uh, with the aid of guides... Senshu and Kamahachi, Subaki and Misa make their way to the royal palace. I will not say anything else about the um, story because it's spoilers. Uh, this one is wild. Yeah. <laughs> Both like visually and storytelling. Like visually, this one is just like a trip to mm. watch. Like the style is very, feels very experimental. Akakiri translates to 
uh, Red Haze. Mm-hmm. And the main character throughout the episode struggles with being in a haze because of his constant vague visions. And that also, like, gives him migraines. So he sort of, like, sleepwalks through life a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this episode is, like, his wake-up call and inciting action uh, that deals with, like, the visions that he's been having. I really like the uh, the soundtrack for this one specifically. Like, I haven't really mentioned the music or anything for for any of the other episodes, except we maybe talked about the song that the band sings in Tatooine Rhapsody. Yeah. But, like, the music in this episode specifically stands out. It is very funky with, like, lots of drums. Mm-hmm. It is just, it's a very, it's a cool vibe. I like the music in this episode a lot. Yeah, like, the ending is very distinctive. Like, that's that's a song I would, like, go and try to look up later just to listen to. Because it's very... I really like songs that are, like, kind of modern, but also have those kind of, like, ancient-sounding drums, kind of. Yeah. Like, that one song from, like, the beginning of Akira, which I listen to a lot. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, just, like, a really distinct standout sound that like just ooh the vibes are good yeah so i'm gonna go through the rest of my points real quick and then we will circle around to the thing that i uh is the one is like the big thing about this episode that i have an issue about okay love the vibes of the sidekicks kamahachi and senshu yes they're absolutely married (laughs) they're married you can't convince me otherwise they're husbands george takei who is of course Hikaru Sulu from Star Trek, most famously, voices Senshu. Oh. And uh, in English, uh, obviously. And Keone Young, known for stuff like his work on Samurai Jack, Kaz in Hi Hi, Puffy Amy Yumi, hmm. Lao Shi from uh, American Dragon Jake Long, oh. which I think is Jake's grandpa. I could be wrong. It's been forever since I've seen oh, that American show's Dragon so Jake fucking Long. good, and it should never have been canceled. It's so good. I'm still mad. I'm still mad. Same, like genuinely. Uh, he he voices Kamahachi. In in this house, we love a corruption arc. <laughs> is my next note directly after that. And then after that, I have a note that is Subaki is very male wife coded. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but he's just very male wife coded. <laughs> Words that don't make sense to anybody who is not termina- terminally online. <laughs> I, my last, like, major note is I think that with the way that this episode ends, I don't think this would make a good full-length series, but it would make an amazing standalone movie. Mm. Like, I think it would make an an amazing animated movie. Yo, imagine if it was, like, a full movie and that's how it ended. I'd lose my mind. yeah. Like, taking the end of the episode and then going from there into a full-length movie, like, it would be a very cool standalone movie. I don't think this episode's setup could make a full series. Could definitely make a cool standalone, like, theatrical release even, like, movie. Yeah, I don't want sequels either. No, I just want the one. Yeah. I want to I watch that you movie, get, get to the end, get fucked up, and then never see a sequel. Exactly. But for as much as I did like a lot of this episode, there's one major thing. There's one thing that I do not like. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is the character design of Masago. It feels bad that the dark-skinned, 
the distinctively dark-skinned lady is big and brutish in comparison to the delicate and very light-skinned princess. Yeah. It also doesn't help that she's voiced by an actual black woman in real life. Um, but, I mean, props to Lorraine to, uh, to Sant. Uh, she is awesome. Her voice is very distinctive, and I love her. She was Shadow Weaver in the oh! new She-Ra and Princesses of Power. Yeah, she was Shadow oh, that's Weaver why I liked her in voice the new so She-Ra. Yeah, because her voice is amazing, oh, so and she good. killed it. Like, she killed it in this episode. Unfortunately, the design of the character she voiced feels bad. Yeah, okay, legit, like, her voice acting is- hold on, I didn't even watch this in English. I need to go back and watch it in English. Yeah, it's it's good in English. It's like, it's not bad in English. Okay, but, like, the Japanese voice actor has that kind- I think they tried to match, like, the vibe of the original, but- Yeah. I guess- like, the voice sold me so much that I overlooked the fact that she's, like, a big, brutish, dark-skinned woman. Like, I had to do a double take because I legit thought, like, I was looking at a monkey-human hybrid. And I, ha- I had to do a double take and be like, oh, what? Did they actually just fucking do that? Yeah. They didn't. But she is not effeminate in any way, and that is also still a problem in dealing with dark-skinned characters, especially if they are black-coated. Yeah, I think that if she wasn't the only... And this is the problem, is that, like, whenever... She's the only one that dark. Yeah, which is why, like... I was thinking about this because I was watching a YouTube video about this kind of thing where I think it was about how, like good queer representation is boring and the point of the video was basically like it was specifically about queer and trans characters but because there have been Mm -hmm. so few of these types of characters creators don't know how to create interesting story arcs and then because they'll have a show that's like 99% cishet they'll introduce like a non-binary character non-biny <laughs> yeah but then they'll have like an androgynous skinny person like a white person uh, yeah. and then yeah like they'll do it in the most like inoffensive milk toast way and it's not interesting and like it's it's nice to have that representation but then you get either like the most boring characters you've ever seen or they try to do yeah. something interesting, but it falls into tropes. Like, if you introduce a gay character and then kill them, that's been done a thousand times, and it's a horrible stereotype. But, like, that means then that, like... There's literally a trope named after it. Yeah, you bury your gays. But the problem is, is that, like, they'll introduce, like, one gay character and then try to do something interesting and treat them like a reg- like. Just their, like, normal cis... What am I saying normal? But, like, they'll treat them like any other character and, like, kill them off and give them a whole arc or whatever. But then, like, you've killed off your one gay character and everyone yells at you for good reason. Yeah, it's like if everyone is gay, Mm -hmm. it doesn't stand out as much because then it's not a a token story. Yeah, they're not being hate-crimed out of the story. Yeah, in like in that case, then it's just a legitimate part of the yeah. story. 
but if it's a, if it's happening to a single character that is POC coded, mm-hmm. gay coded, whatever, minority coded, feels bad. <laughs> and usually for good reason, because it's been done to death with no respect for the real life people that are part of those minorities. Yeah, like, it would be great if I didn't have to, like, go searching for crumbs for, like, a queer or black character that isn't the sidekick. Like, just put in more of these characters and do interesting things with them. That's it. Like, just... It's like when, apparently, the new Sex and the City reboot, they put in... Because they had so many awful trans misogynistic jokes in the original, they were like, oh, we'll Ugh. fix it. We'll put a trans character in. But it's all like trans masks. And it's like, girl, like trans people are not interchangeable. <laughs> like you can't fix, you can't paper so over your trans misogyny problem with a trans man. That's tired. not how it works. Tired, tired, yep. exhausted. Yep. God. Yeah. Like- that was a very long tangent to basically be like, this character design is kind of uh iffy. <laughs> yeah, which is wild because I'm literally like I had an issue with it and like made a note of it in my brain when I watched the series the first time, but it it just stands out even more especially after having a respectfully drawn brown character not even two episodes ago mm-hmm. in the series and legitimately coming off of watching jojo's bizarre adventure and having multiple brown side characters done genuinely respectfully which is wild considering the time period when jojo was originally like the two arcs that that these characters are in like when they were being originally written in the 80s and 90s Mm. like the character smoky from battle tendency which is part two. Mm-hmm. Like he's he starts he starts the starts the season off with like stealing from Joseph Joestar. That's not great, but I get it. It's Joseph's like first day in America, whatever. <laughs> Joseph ends up protecting him from like the police that were going to beat up this black kid because mm-hmm. Joseph Joestar said a cab, <laughs> and then he like. He and Smokey become good friends. Like, Smokey basically gets adopted by, like, Joseph's rich grandma. And, this, and like, the the season ends with him becoming the first, like, black mayor of, sh- of whatever, New York? <laughs> whatever American city season two takes place in. But, like, he becomes, like, it is straight up, he is the first black mayor of this city. And that's really cool, considering, again, this is a series written in japan in the 80s yeah and then it's 2021 and we have whatever the fuck misago's design was yeah i think that it fell into the trope of like dark skin equals bad and like didn't examine it whatsoever especially when it's contrasted with like the like you said like the pretty demure princess yeah like super effeminate who who has someone who cares for her so much that like they sacrifice everything to protect her like it's mm, okay yeah like it just feels bad like feels bad man yeah and like she's supposed to be like the king's sister too so like why is this 
why is this child white? <laughs> why is this child white passing? Like, I'm pretty sure she, she's, like, supposed to be, like, Japanese. Yeah. Like, fantasy sci-fi space Japanese. But, like, why is this... If if the king's sister looks like that, why is this child white-coated? Yeah, it's also concerning... I don't understand. If, like, this... These characters are supposed to be Japanese, whether consciously or unconsciously. Because Japan also has very... Like, there are different native groups in Japan that have been forced to give up their cultures and are... And forced assimilation. Yeah. yeah. And, like, who are discriminated against very regularly, even today, because of their uh, ancestry. So, like, to make a dark-skinned character evil, also, like, even if they weren't based on black stereotypes, they could also be based on, like native stereotypes which isn't yeah i mean it's not great and that may have been the unconscious bias that led to that character like led to the design of masago Mm -hmm. but like as a westerner that design reads like really bad black character stereotypes in in media like the black woman is not effeminate because how can these brutish people of color compare to, like, the waifish, beautiful Western beauty standards of a white woman, you know? Like, that's what it felt like. It's almost impressive how they made this character racist in multiple different directions. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I do really want to make that, like, a focus, like, with the fact that this character is not effeminate, and that wouldn't have been a problem and would have been cool that she wasn't effeminate if she wasn't also tied up in being the only noticeably dark-skinned person like the evil one too the evil dark-skinned person who is also not effeminate because <sighs> then if you really wanted to we could tie that into fucking well then she's a gay-coded villain because she's clearly evil and butch <sighs> like it's it's a mixed bag of bad tropes that they didn't have to do at all like there's really no reason for it yeah. and it sucks because i really do like everything else about the episode mm-hmm. like this is like the one amazingly standout bad point because it's like several different really shitty stereotypes in yeah. one <laughs> and it sucks it drags the ep- it drags the episode's enjoyment factor down a little bit yeah. which sucks um, but I don't want to end on that kind of terrible bad <laughs> note. So if you want to talk about if you've seen anything good recently, what you're watching, I can. I've clearly been watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, have you? We're on part. Th- <laughs> yeah, right. We're on part three. Stardust Crusaders. We're like under ten episodes in right now. I like it. I like that it's just a road trip with the boys. <laughs> I like that there's more than, like, the protagonist and then, like, his ride-or-die random sidekick that just showed up halfway through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, the the sidekicks are still ride-or-die because the JoJo saved them. But, like, it's different because it's a bigger cast group. It's five people when in comparison the last two seasons we've had maybe between two and three mm-hmm. at any given point. I like Jotaro. He is a very rude boy. I don't think Araki has ever looked at a teenager in his life. 
What, what do you mean? Teenagers are those, like, huge buff ones, right? Okay. Here, they look 30? Here, I'll give you hit. Here are Jotaro Kujo's canonical measurements. <laughs> Th- keep in mind, this kid is supposed to be 17 years old in part three. Part three. The first time we see him, he's supposed to be 17. Would you like to know how tall he is? He's six foot five. He is six foot five. Would you like to know how much he oh, weighs? God. 181 pounds, which I found find doubtful because that boy has shoulders <laughs> bigger than boys. Yeah, he's um, built like a building. Like He is built like a brick <laughs> house, which is wild because like Jonathan Joestar also built like a brick shit house. Jotaro looks a lot like him. Mm-hmm. Joseph facial wise looks like jonathan but like he had like a weirdly snatched waist <laughs> and like was on the twinkier side in comparison to jonathan and, and jotaro but like they're all fucking brick shit houses this is the jojo era of brick shit houses we have not re- reached the twinkening yet that <laughs> twinkening. happens yeah part five is the is the in-between period where josuke is like slimmer but he's still buff and then you get to the twinkening <laughs> of part five with Gio Giovanni uh, Giorno Giovanni who is just he is the most twink coated everyone in in golden wind is fucking the, the size of one of my thighs <laughs> twunks if you will because they do have eight packs still but I don't think he's ever going I don't this is not a this is not a 17 this is this is not a 17 year old boy <laughs> My favorite part, though, is that he looks the exact same when we see him again between the ages of 28 and 30. And then also also when he's 40 and has a daughter, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> so is, was he just born looking 50 years old and then just never changed? He was born looking like a ripped 20, like <laughs> 20 to 30 year old, like 28 to 30 year old. And then did not change at all still looking the same now that's so good yeah i love him you can also tell too that like this is where araki started like experimenting with fashion more because like yeah some of the costuming in the first two seasons they were period pieces but they did have like some unrealistic costuming like i'm sorry they're why are the the big beefy boys in the 1930s wearing crop tops <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining, but I'm also just curious. Uh, but in this part, like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Everyone just say thank you, Araki. Um, thank you, Araki. <laughs> but like for comparison, like Jotaro has the um, like very traditional stereotype, like schoolboy delinquent look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with like a couple of weird elements, like the weird chain, like in his collar, and like. Yeah. His stupid hat. <laughs> because the back is cut off. It's not a full hat. It like blends into his hair. It's dumb. Hey, you can't fight crime if you ain't cute. You can't find crime if you ain't cute. I love watching cosplayers interpret his <laughs> hat hair situation. <laughs> but yeah, I like that it's it's clearly like a Rocky got more comfortable experimenting with like fashion and and weird genuinely weirder elements like the stands because this is the first season where stand where stands are a thing 
Love the stands. Love the design of Star Platinum. That's my boy. But yeah, uh, I'm probably going to take a break from JoJo because Jack is going to be gone for a couple days and I can't watch it without him because we've been watching it together. So I'm going to start Higurashi because I've been I've mm. been thinking about starting it ever since we did the episode with Eli. So I'm like, yeah, I might as well start it because I, well, I can't watch JoJo for like half a week. So I might as well find something else to watch. And Higurashi has been on the mind. Shout out to to Eli, genuinely, because he's been very, very kind and tolerant in me live blogging <laughs> my JoJo watching experience to him. But yeah, that's that's what I've been watching. I feel like, I wish Araki would stop killing JoJo's boyfriends. Like, that's not very cash money of him. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm having a great time. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Stone Ocean because I I love Jolene's vibes and I'm excited to mm-hmm. get there. But what have what have you been what have you been up to? All I've done is finish Blue Period and watch another episode of Kami Can't Communicate. Mm. So I just love Blue Period. Um I guess I saw some reviews that were like weren't huge fans of the animation, I guess. Some people said it felt like they just took panels from the manga and just colored them and didn't really oh. add anything to it. Oh, I mean, there's a way to... That's unfortunate, because there's a way to be, like, respectful to the original style of the manga and not just be lazy about it. Yeah, so I'm curious to read the manga and see what... If anything was lost in translation. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoy the show. I like that it's about art, but also about the sacrifices that people make in order to create it. Like, it's not just this person is super talented and they create amazing work because they're a tortured genius and, like, them being horribly depressed is, like, part of their creative process or something. Ooh. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't do that. It shows a lot of like the immense pressure that these students go through just trying to get into like the first year of university. I like how it looks at art as like a subjective medium and how much work goes into paintings that seem really simple. And I still don't know how I feel about Hold on. Go look up the list of characters. Yeah. So Yatara's friend Ryuji. Ryuji is the one who pretty much exclusively dresses like a girl. Mm. And I'm still not entirely sure if it's like a complicated depiction of someone expressing their gender or if it's someone who doesn't understand someone trans. Mm. Because if it is... If Ruji is supposed to genuinely be like a trans character or gender non-conforming or something, he mm-hmm. has a very like interesting relationship with it where like there's a certain way that he expresses himself and I don't think he is necessarily female, but he's not entirely male either. And I feel like because the story is from Yatara's perspective and Yatara, as far as I know, is like just a cishet dude i don't know if it's because it's from his perspective that there's this kind of distance where 
he doesn't really fully understand what Gigi's going through. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would love to see a lot more trans rap that isn't just uncomplicated and simple. Like, this person uses these pronouns and they've already figured out their gender and they're, like, done experimenting or whatever. And, like, this is the gender expression they're going to use for the rest of their lives or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's, like, if this show is trying to show someone working through those feelings or if it's just kind of clumsy because the person who wrote it doesn't fully understand what it means to question your own gender and to be rejected for how you try and present yourself, I guess. Because there aren't any other characters like that in the show to kind of compare it to because it's from this very cishet perspective. Mm. And then so stands out, like we were talking about, how mm-hmm. it becomes a token character. Yeah. Like, I'm, I am I think it might take a while to kind of, like, like, if Ryuji shows up again, then I think we'll have a better idea of what his character actually is. But for now, it just kind of feels like... The vibes are mixed. <laughs> yeah. They could go... E- it sounds like they could go either way. Mm-hmm. And it sucks if it's gonna go one way, but you know, not too terribly unexpected, unfortunately. Yeah, like I don't mind having questions about it. Like I don't know what this character's gender is. I don't know what this character's sexuality is, and like it feels realistic in that way because people themselves sometimes don't know the answers oh, to those questions. Yeah, and, like, absolutely. And I also don't like the idea that. A trans person has to disclose all of their issues so that cis people are comfortable. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if, like, another character like Ryuji shows up or something, but... And then Kami Can't Communicate. It's a cute show. I like the comedy. I don't like... I think it's, like, episode four or something where this character shows up who's obsessed with the main character, Kami. Mm-hmm. Because she's like that predatory lesbian trope. No, no. Yeah, it's so <sighs> icky. It's so weird. It feels very much like this girl will like follow Kami to like try and leer at her, will like drool at her, will try and get her into compromising situations, will stalk her. Come on. But it's funny because she's a girl and like, <laughs> it's 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 really gross and creepy. I don't enjoy it. It's not funny. I hate that <laughs> with a burning yeah. passion. Me too. Especially like, it treats, like, I don't actually know if this character is supposed to be queer, but it treats it as like this weird, gross joke and literally turf talking points like, <laughs> predatory queer people that we don't like because they're not the right kind of of queer that we agree with uh, i hate it so much i dislike that that sucks that feels bad yeah and it's like an interesting show because the show is about like the character Kami who has a communication disorder so she struggles a lot to talk to people Aww. it's like a huge it's a huge struggle for her to talk, to even, like, say a full sentence to somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's cool seeing, like, a character with anxiety who isn't, like, instantly cured because, I don't X, know, like... X, Y, Z reason. Yeah. 
But yeah, there's like uh, stuff like that that I don't enjoy. I don't know. Like, it, it can only be funny to you if you still live in like, I don't know. if 2005? If... <laughs> yeah, when like the joke is just like, this character is gay. Isn't that gross and weird? Isn't that funny? Because it's gross and disgusting. Oh, I hate it so much. That sucks. That feels bad. Yeah. It also sucks because, like, another character in the show, um, whose name I'm also going to look up, uh, Najimi, who is also kind of, like, GNC, and, like, he wears the girls' school uniform, and he wears a lot of girls' girl clothes, and it kind of feels like he's, like, gender non-conforming. Like, there's been no confirmed... One way or the other. Yeah. Which is, like, that's fine. But, like, he's also kind of treated as a joke. I don't know. I'm tired. That (laughs) sucks. (laughs) Bad. Feels bad. Don't like that. Yeah, I don't don't know how how I feel about it, because at the very least... He's not treated like like a predator the same way the like leering lesbian character is. That's wild. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't uh, I don't know. Like if, if another character that could be seen as queer shows up and is also kind of treated this way, I'm going to be suspicious cuz one is one character depicted that way is one thing. Two characters, hmm. Three characters is like a consistent pattern. Yeah. It makes it hard to watch a show that could be just very fun. Yeah. Like, it's hard watching media when you belong to several different minority groups because you're constantly aware of <sighs> micro and macro aggressions in storytelling and stereotypes in media. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't even get into the predatory lesbian problem in Platinum End either. Oh god, she's fucking crazy. <laughs> as if the show wasn't bad enough. I don't want to hear about Platinum End. I like as someone who did a th- literal three-part, six-hour series on Death Note. I don't. I don't want to hear <laughs> about it. Oh, I found one review because I just looked at the Platinum End page on the anime list I use, and someone's like, eight out of ten. I don't trust this person's opinion whatsoever. Oh, hello? <laughs> Are you well? <sighs> well, this is a good ending to the Star Wars episode. Yeah. Love, <laughs> love the ending that had nothing to do with Star Wars. Um, <laughs> wonderful. Absolutely incredible. I mean, I'll probably still bring up Star Wars on the podcast. There's just <laughs> no more current animated content for me to talk about. Oh, you're just gonna have to find some other excuse to bring it up? Yes. Constantly. <laughs> well, no, we'll see, because currently, it is on pause. Currently, the, the JoJo brain rot's pretty strong, so we'll okay. see. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 2 Pod, or you can email us at leavesinatrenchcoat at gmail.com. And there's a link to our Discord in the show notes. Uh, please don't be an asshole. Yeah, we will immediately lock it back down and kick everyone yeah. who we don't know personally. <laughs> our opening theme is My Way by Whitney, 
And the music you're listening to right now is What's the Angle by Shane Ivers. And I'm Madison. And I'm Suzanne. And y'all, it literally takes zero dollars to just not be a dickhead. Yeah, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. That's your episode lesson. Just don't be a dick. (laughs) Good night. My headphones are dying. Chill, no. Okay. Uh. Well, I. Wait, hold on. I can. I can get um a thingy to plug it in. Is there a Bluetooth right now? Oh. Well, I mean, I can talk about more about JoJo while you get your headphones set up. I mean, I there's like a two hundred dollar like absolutely gorgeous joseph joestar figure where he's doing like this kind of amazing like gay little pose and he's sold out everywhere and he's probably been sold out for years and i think he's only on ebay and i think the lowest i saw him for was like 80 bucks it's like the the itchy bondo figure the itchy bondo figures bandai itchy bandai i don't know but i love them um they also have a, an amazing Jotaro one, which is, uh, Ichibansho figures. Yes, the Ichibansho figure line for Joseph, for Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is so good. Um, they're super expensive, though, for not being, like, the posable figures, which are also apparently super expensive comparatively to just the static statue figures. I like this inter- interval. Oh, thanks. I was just I was just talking about um, how much I want this fucking itchy Bancho Joseph figure because he's doing like the gayest little pose. <laughs> but he's like he's like he like was two hundred dollars at like release, and now I think the lowest I found him for on eBay was like eighty bucks. Or... So he's still pretty expensive oh, no. for a figure, but like he's a go- like the face alone though is like really gorgeous yeah i want him i am i'm willing to buy him off of ebay because he's just he's a very pretty figure and i'm not super into collecting figures for the most part like the most i have is like